Let me share. I, I was going to teach on something else tonight, but we can do it in the future. Let me share with you tonight what I shared with the leaders last week in leadership meeting. We meet once a month. And um, and just talk through it. And then we'll have Q&A at the end, comments, discussions. And just so you know, when we record the messages and push it out to the web, uh, we don't push the, discuss- the discussions and comments and questions, not because we're ashamed of what you're saying, but some people don't want it to be pushed into that to the public like that. But we'll put the message in there. Um, you'll see a little white note card underneath these tables. I put it in there on Friday. You've heard me talk about it several times, but I just want to repeat it. And, and uh, this is how I started off with the leaders last week. And last week we talked about the four versions of Relationship Church. And um, so I think this is a nice secondary talk on it. But, um, oh, Josh, I shared your word you sent me by text. I hope that was all right. It's too late now. <laughs> they wanted me to send it out to everybody in a text message this week. Do I have your permission to do that? All right, cool. Um, so back on October the 26th when I was in D.C., and um, I was just praying. This is what I prayed. It's, it's written on your table there. I asked the Father, what is R.C. about now in this new season? Things are so different now than even a year ago. I think I might have said this last Sunday night. I can't remember. By the way, next Sunday night, Jason Blaylock is speaking. So that'll be fun. Um, I won't be here. I have to leave on Sunday. Uh, I have to be at the airport at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning and go to an all-day meeting on Monday and then come back on Tuesday. I don't see the purpose of this whole thing, but it all pays the same, So, and they're paying the expenses. So i got to fly out on D.C. on Sunday, all-day meeting on it's actually a half-a-day meeting. I work, I work for a company that's, since this is recorded, they'll never hear it, but they're a social justice activated, let's put it that way. So we have a four-hour, they're flying all of us at a remote, four hours up, up there, and then four hours on Monday we have a pep talk, and then in the afternoon we go do homeless work, and they're paying us to do that. That's pretty cool. Anyway, I've never had it. And then we fly back Tuesday. So anyway, I said all of that. I got way off the subject. Jason will be speaking Sunday night. It'll be fun to hear him. I, I asked the father, what is RC about now in this new season? Things are so different now than even a year ago. He Im- immediately gave me two words that we were to focus on, and he used the word era, E-R-A, instead of season. I use season. The two words were presence and prepare. Seek his presence, teach his people how to walk in his presence, to be carriers of his presence, and secondarily, prepare his his church to walk in his presence as a bride. We don't need to focus on anything else. So I that started me on a journey. Okay, what does that even look like? Because I'm so so trained in church and church structures and been doing it, like we said, last year for 29 years. So I've meditated on that a lot since 9, see, 11, 12, 1, three, over three months now. And the Lord gave me has given me two verses. So let's talk about those two verses. And I would encourage you to turn to them on your, in your Bibles or your smartphones, Acts 2.42, or Mike, he can put it up there if he wants to. Uh, if you've got the New American Standard Version is the one I'm using, Acts 2.42. 
And um, the reason I read Josh's word and the reason I read uh, Alexis's word, you know, Christianity has so many slogans and so many phrases and so many this and that that a lot of times I just overlook it. Okay, my will... Your will, not my will. That's basically what she's saying, he's saying. Um, but how many of us, and I put myself into this, how many of us actually go to the next step and go, what parts of my will are not your will? And meditate on it. <clears throat> I talked at a place called Hope Thursday night, and we talked about biblical meditation. Meditation's a big word. I mean, you can go to almost any app. Uh, you can go to the Fitbit app. You can go to the Apple app. You can go to the Aura Ring app. You can go to the Headspace app that you pay monthly for. They all have a meditation tab. <clears throat> Eastern religion that's not described as Eastern religion, but it is Eastern religion, has invaded America. And meditation in almost all of these circumstances is clear your mind. Try to clear your thoughts. You know, if you are a Zen Buddhist, you can, which is where a lot of this comes from, you might even start saying chants like mm, the Om, O-H-M, there's a whole thing behind that. But we disguise it and, and change it up. It's basically clear your mind. Maybe picture a garden. Maybe picture a field. And, and that's about it from the active standpoint. Um, let me tell you, I'm just going to be blunt. The two fastest ways to become demon-possessed is hallucinogenic drugs, like LSD, and that kind of meditation. It's a real clash of the kingdoms, as we've been talking about. Because when you empty yourself, Jesus will never do anything against your will. Demons cannot do anything against your will unless you drop your will. And so hallucinogenic drugs, you drop your will involuntarily. You know, um, that kind of meditation, if you're not careful, you drop your will voluntarily. They often, I remember when I worked for Georgia Power, they would take you on these guided little, whatever I, I just described, journeys and says you're going to meet somebody and they're going to speak to you. This is a Georgia Power, a corporate huge company and they're going to they're going to teach you know take you on peaceful trips some probably most of that's just imaginary i give you that but if you actually meet somebody it's not jesus christ because he doesn't meet you that way if you meet somebody that way it's an angel of light that's almost a demonic spirit and you know in my years of being a minister you people that are into that, you have to do a lot of work and a lot of counseling and a lot of deliverance to get them out. Flip side, biblical meditation is always active. It's not passive. And the devil just uh, clever? I mean, it's everywhere. Biblical meditation is active, either on him or his words. We're not going to go through it because that's not the subject tonight. But you can go, you can find, it says, all the way when you look at meditation in the Bible, it's meditating on something. Meditating on the Word. Meditating on Him. 
And, um, and that's biblical. And so, as I've been, I've been meditating on two verses. The first one is this one. Leave this one up here. Acts 2.42. Going over and over again. And the Lord's just been constantly bringing back to me this verse. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let me back up because I sense some people going, I'm not sure what you're saying is true. Hebrews says, how does it say to enter into rest? I don't know the verse off the top of my head. What would you say? Labor to enter into my rest. That's active. It's not passive. That's just another verse. Maybe we can talk about that more afterwards or in the future. But you have to labor, which means you have to focus your mind in on things. We know that what you focus on, you become. But anyway, with biblical meditation, you get a verse, and many of you may be drawn towards a verse. Stay there. Often in American Christianity, we emphasize quantity of verses. And there is a place of reading your Bible through in a year. But I'm going to confess to you, I've never done it. I think there's probably a place. But you got to keep in mind, most of it's a gain of information. And the Lord, most of the time, does not have me to read to gain information, although I do. He reads for me to gain an encounter or, or, or uh, uh, Lord, give me the words, uh, meeting Him. Think about it this way. He spoke in parables almost all of the time except for the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of his, his, his disciples said, why do you speak in parables? He says, because I want to see who really wants to know what I'm saying. They will meditate on that parable, which is just a kid's story. Let's be honest most of the time. It's a kid's story and see what is the spiritual principle behind it. You can't get the spiritual principle behind it by reading the Scriptures alone because it's just information. You get it by reading the Scriptures and get the information and then you go, Holy Spirit, what was Jesus wanting the bigger picture to say here? And you meditate on that parable or wherever He draws you until you know you've gotten out of it what you wanted to get out of it. Here's a small example. You remember the... The parable of the sower of the seeds, there's three seeds. Throw seeds on a hard ground, birds eat them up. Throw seeds on rocky ground, they start growing and then they get choked out. Then he throws seeds on good ground and they grow and make great plants. Well, that's a, you don't even have to be a farmer to know that. Why did he say that? And we're not going to explain that parable. But they were probably going, what? And he did that all the time, What? He invites all of us into an invitation of how far do you want to go with me? Do you just want information? And that parable, we're not going to go into it, is obviously talking about the church at three different levels of people that receive His Word for what it really means. And you can go and meditate on it. John 6, He speaks to 5,000 men and who knows how many women. He leaves, hundreds follow, and he turns to him and goes, why are you following me? There is this, it's not aggressive behavior, but there is this thing in him that's going, how far do you want to go? How deep do you want to go? According to Josh's verse, how much of your or text, how much will do you want to give up? Uh, same with Alexis. 
we often wait for him to challenge us, and he does challenge us, but sometimes we just have to stop and go, what else? What's more? What's deeper? What does this parable mean? That's where you have to learn to be still and rest. And he turns to these hundreds of people that are following him. It's at the end of John 6. And he goes, what do you want? He says, I just fed you. Do you want more bread? Other words, I may, he didn't say he would or said he wouldn't, but he says, All right, do you just want to be met at the level I, I met you yesterday? Or maybe it was the day. I'd have to go back and read it. And so many times I find myself stopping and going, yes, the bread's enough. The meeting of the body's needs is enough. And you've heard me say this a bunch, that at almost some people, I've aggravated some of my pastor friends to no end. But I've been in the charismatic movement for 35 years, and so maybe, I don't know if I have a right to say this, but at least I can say I've been around it. If we're not careful, we will venture off in seeking those things that minister to our bodies only. Healings, whatever, miracles. And we want that. We've got to have bread to live. Okay, I'm not putting that down. But maybe there's a secondary level where we move from the body to the soul. And he turns to him with this incredible statement that you've all heard. And, matter of fact, none of this that I talked to the leaders Sunday night, but it's good. I'm enjoying it. And uh, hopefully this... But he... he um, He's inviting them deeper in seeing if they're satisfied with just the bread and the body. Are you all getting the parallels here? You can be a church of lots of miracles and lots of healings and lots of words of knowledge and lots of... And I want to be that. I'm not putting that down. But if that's all we are, we've missed the heart of Him. Because He challenged them after a supernatural miracle and He said... Will you eat of me? Not just physical bread. And then he gives this crazy cannibalistic statement, drink my blood, eat my flesh. He was setting it up. Again, it was a parable. He wasn't going to cut himself up. What is he talking about? He says, will you move from the outward to the inward where you can hear my voice and follow me? And I really, really think that's a journey we've been on. To go after the outward things, but will, am I enough? And it's, I don't, we don't know, quite know how many people were there that followed him. Probably hundreds. Not really sure. They turned away. So that shows you the percentage. And then he's got 12 disciples left. And he turns to them and goes, um, are you going to get offended at me too? Why did they why was he why were they getting offended? Because he upped the game on them. Does this not describe where we've been at for a little while? We've been blessed as a people, been blessed as a church, and then all of a sudden he decides to play with a formula. And he ups the game. And I think there is a place where we can stay just letting our bodily needs be met. But he's looking for a people. 
And what's so funny, though, is the disciples, they had already given up their boats, given up their tax collection business, given up their medical practice. That was Luke. You know, given them all up. Some of them, their families were long ways away. They hadn't given up their families, like divorced them, but they were away from them, not raising them. What was their first response? Basically, it's like, dude, we don't have any choice now. We've already given it all up. Wasn't quite that crass, but it was pretty close. Twelve people, let's say ten thousand. Say there was at least one child, one woman, one or the other, maybe fifteen thousand. But if you use the numbers ten thousand, twelve people who were actually sort of trapped, because they would have had to figure out a new way to make a living. I'm not downplaying it because they did pass the test, but if you read that, at least I spent one entire year on John 6. That's all I read. Now you see why I can't do a Bible reading program. I meditated on John 6 for one year. I won't tell you why, but I was going through just tough stuff in my life, and he used these things as examples, basically telling me to stop whining. And so if you divide 12 by 10,000, you get 0.12%. You could tell I meditated on this chapter. One-tenth of one percent that said in the end, yes. I'm ready to be one-tenth of one percent. But when you're one-tenth of one percent, you never know what's a, what it's going to cost you. You never know what's going to happen. But I promise you this, you will know him not just on the body level, because they got fed too with the miracle of the loaves and the bread, fishes. You will know him on the soul level, eat, you know, do you want me? And somewhere, it doesn't say it, but somewhere you're going to know him spirit to spirit. And it's worth it. And it, it is a cost. It's a clearing of your will. That was good. I just made that up right then. Probably several years ago when I was meditating on John 6. But I th- maybe you, we can talk afterwards, but I think that's where we've been as a church. Do you want physical bread or do you want me? Acts 2.42. You didn't think I'd ever get to this, did you? That's out of the ASV. Yeah, it's probably pretty close. New American Standard. Oh, we don't have it. All right, it's fine. It's all sort of the same. So I've been meditating on two verses the last three months since this prophetic word about presence and preparing of the people. Acts 2.42. You can go back and read the history of it. This is just the second chapter, right at the beginning of the first century church. They were continually devoting themselves to four things. Apostles' teaching. At that time, that's all that was teaching was the apostles, but I think there's some things to meditate on because I've been meditating on these two verses a lot lately. The fellowship, breaking of bread, that did not mean communion. If we have more time, and maybe I'll get into it. But if you look, I've looked up the Strong's. When I say I look up the Greek, it acts like, sounds like I know Greek. I know how to look it up in Strong's Concordance in the Blue Letter Bible to get other. That's Blue Letter Bible online has a lot of good resources. Apostles' teaching. Fellowship, breaking of bread, is eating together.
trying to find one commentary I had on that. Well, I didn't. I'm doing. I wasn't planning on teaching on this tonight. No, here it is. So this is one commentary from. Uh, I won't even say the guy's name. Sounds like it's an Eastern European name. But this was his quote. Breaking the bread together literally means becoming one body in Christ, an unbreakable family bond, not just with one another, but also with God. Another commentary. Breaking bread refers to sharing meals in the New Testament. So, and in prayer. Well, this is obvious. So I'm looking at this. I'm just thinking, why is the Lord bringing me to this verse? You do this in your own life. If you're drawn to a verse and you just can't quite get off of it, but you don't know what it's saying, stay there. Do the active meditation on it. Put it on an index card. Put it on your dashboard. Put it wherever it's in front of you, depending on your work, if you can do that. Just start meditating. It may take you days or weeks, but the Lord will show you stay there. I mean, read other stuff, but don't get off of that verse until you feel a peace to leave because he's wanting to show you something else. And so as I was just doing that, and I just heard the Holy Spirit say, you've been asking about structural change and why you're, you're doing what you're doing at Relationship Church. You know, we talked about if you were here last week, Relationship 4.0. And he said, look at this. This is what they were doing. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. This was their structure. He said, what if church structure is actually as simple as that? And two of them were having fun. Hopefully the teaching and prayer is fun, but you get what I'm saying. And then I looked at the trajectory of our church. We've kept dropping programs, kept dropping programs, and pretty much this is all we do anymore. You know, it might be debatable whether this is apostolic teaching, but at least we're trying. It's teaching. Fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And I'm like, Lord, are you saying this is our structure? He says, it sort of looks like it to me. You've been following me, paying attention to me. What if this is actually this simple? Then read verse 43. If you want to put up verse 43, Mike. And go ahead and go to verse 43. But it said at the beginning of 42, they were continually devoting themselves to teaching prayer, fellowship, and eating together. So I'm sort of mentally, I'm at the very beginning of this. We're on the same journey. I'm at the very beginning of this going, okay, from one to three, one's none, three's the most, or one to five. How much teaching, how much fellowship, how much meals, prayer, And I'm sort of walking through this, and I'm finding, I think the fellowship, I see your finger, we'll get there. I I think the fellowship and the breaking of bread were probably low on that. Yeah, I'm getting a laugh, and I'm getting a head shake over here. What if church is as simple? It said, this is what they devoted themselves to. You know what two things that are big in churches I don't see on there? Worship and evangelism. Now, we're not going to stop worship. That's who we are. But that's interesting, isn't it? You already see even the word worship anywhere in Acts. Now, you can make a biblical case for it. You see it through Psalms and see it in different ways. But look at verse 43. Read that verse and tell me where signs and wonders and the nine gifts come from. I never really thought about it this way. I mean, it's simple. You don't need me to 
interpret this. Not by seeking them. Acts is full of signs and wonders and miracles and the nine fruits and the nine gifts. They were having fun. Fellowship, breaking bread, dedicated to prayer and teaching. And everyone was filled with awe. That means seeing what God's doing. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done. Now, I don't know where you're going with this. I'm not planning on writing a book or a blog or doctrinal. But this came from just doing verse, continually devoting themselves to verse 42. Does anybody else make you wonder? Am I the only one? There's a lot of y'all just, I'm hoping you're deep in thought or you're just going, how much longer is he going on? Let's look at one more verse and then we'll come back around. I know Josh has got something to say. We'll do some questions. Acts 9.31. So this is another verse I've been meditating on. So what's my point? When you're giving up your will and you're being stripped, he's preparing you for something else. And most of the time, you don't even know you're getting set up for that something else until it happens. I know you said to turn to Acts 9.31, and you can stay there. But let me also read this one other verse I came across. And then we're going to come back to this. I tell you what, go ahead and turn to Genesis 41.14 in whatever version. And then we'll come back. You know what he's been doing as we've allowed him to strip us and we say yes or no, whatever's appropriate? He's been giving us new clothes. Now, maybe I'm reading into this too much. I hope most of you know the story of Joseph. He was falsely accused, he went to prison. He eventually ended up being the right-hand man of the Pharaoh, but he went through a lot. We're not talking like days. We're talking decades in prison. Genesis 41, 14. This is right before he went to go see Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh Pharaoh, sent for Joseph. (laughs) At least I recognize the accent. (laughs) Doesn't mean I'm delivered of it. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. Let me read it out of that one so I don't confuse you. I'll be... So Pharaoh, God, I can't even say it now. The big guy (laughs) sent for Joseph. And you can go back and read the whole how he was set up and other prisoners told him about him. And he was quickly brought from the dungeon when he had shaved and changed his clothes. He came before Pharaoh. I don't want to read too much into this. But prophetically, I think we've been in the shaving and changing of clothes season. And he got promoted after this. He couldn't take his new assignment with the same looks and the same clothes that he had before. All of us are going into a new assignment. And we can't go there with the same clothes and the same looks that you had before. I'll let you meditate on that one. Acts 9.31.
So this is another one. Four, four activities, breaking of bread, fellowship, prayer, teaching. Acts 9.31. Um, so the church, now this is Acts 9, the other one was Acts 2. Roughly, you can't make a, a fact out of this, but it's pretty close. Every year equals one chapter in the book of Acts, theologians say. Okay, give or take. So roughly we're talking seven years later, if that's true, but it's not the next day. So the church through all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. The Lord showed me, well, let me read it. Being built up, well, this one says, let me read it up here, from strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. And I meditated on this a long time. The Lord showed me four things that are healthy metrics of a church. See, in America, healthy metrics is what I call the four B's. Big building, lots of butts in the chair, big budget, and a lot of buzz. You know, activity, likes, on the billboards, everybody's talking about it. You don't see... You see some of numbers like what was here. But the Lord is, so this is what I was meditating on it. Think about it. He said, these are the four metrics to look in your church to see if it's healthy. I'm just throwing it out there. Is there peace? And in the King James Version, I love the King James Version because it fits my narrative. Just being honest. Although the Greek, although the uh, Strong's Concordance says the same thing. Guess what it says in King James Version, those that have looked it up. The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed rest. What have we been talking about for months and months? Being built up. Which means edified, encouraged. And here we go again. The fear of the Lord. I love the Passion Translation, which is actually not a translation. I don't want to blow your bubble. I read the Passion, but it's a terrible paraphrase at best. But again, I love this phrase because it fits my narrative. But Strong's Concordance seems to bring it up too. It says, wonder and awe. One of the signs of healthiness is the fear of the Lord. And as you study that out, that's not being afraid. That's seeing a side of Him, a portion of Him that you've never seen before. Remember in the prayer time, for those of you that were here, I said, what about exploring the depths of Jesus Christ? And that's where this came out of. And then the comfort, what does it say up there? Yeah, the comfort of the Holy Ghost. You know how you can tell if you're Pentecostal if the preacher says Holy Ghost. You can tell if you're denominational if they say Holy Spirit. Charismatics, it's up for grabs. You don't know. True statement. Comfort is consolation. I love this out of Strong's Concordance. A calling near. So I'm just meditating on it. I don't know where all this is going to go. What if the structure of our church, which is pretty much there anyway... We emphasize those four things, teaching, fellowship, parties. His first miracle is at a party. 
I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I'm, I'm trying to get a point across. Prayer. And then the metric for a healthy church is rest slash peace, encouragement, wonder and awe, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, which I'll tell you what, I could probably meditate a year. What does that mean, the comfort of the Holy Spirit? I know His words. That's it. I've been talking for 40 minutes. So I invite you in to meditate with with us, with me on Acts 2.42 and Acts 9.31. Could the structure of the church be this simple? Then we would definitely need the Holy Spirit's help if this is our metrics. It's much easier to build numbers and get budgets and buzz then rest, peace, fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I'm done. Let me get the microphone.